Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oh. We've been drinking all morning. Liquored up? Never. That would never happen to me, Kenny. Judd's not a liquor guy. About. Yeah. Now, am I beard up? Absolutely. <laughs> Six in to be exact. When's the last time you had liquor? Um, because you don't years, drink liquor. Fifteen years ago, probably. Really? Yeah, I'm just not a fan. I embrace the beer, and that's it. No wine. Wine's bad too. Indianapolis Ooh. this weekend. Danica wins her last <laughs> race of her career. Oh, Kenny, Boom! Kenny, what? Right there. Oh, right there. Kenny, are you look? Are you actively looking to be pulled over by the hot take cops right now? <laughs> that sounds like a write that down prediction. Yeah. Just say write that it's, down. We'll keep track of it. It's gonna happen. I'm telling. you. I see a potential four hour show for Kenny right here. Kenny, uh, pull, see you guys, pull your microphone over. You have been arrested by the hot take police. That was like Kenny's dream for four and a half years to be arrested by the Mackie and Judd hot take police. Ding ding. <laughs> down to six. Crosses over Curry. Comes into the paint, goes to Gordon, catches, shoots a three, got it! Eric Gordon drills another big three! Down to five, Paul still holding, fights run a Capella screen on West, another heave, three, hits again! I'm not even sure he could see the rim on that one. A running three for Chris Paul is good. Hits the second as well, 98-94 Houston. 2.4 to go in game five. They go to Thompson, throws it up at the horn. No good, and it's over. The Houston Rockets have survived game five and are now one win away from the NBA Finals as they beat the Golden State Warriors tonight, 98-94. I can't help when I watch playoff games late, whether it's NHL playoffs or... When you're watching the World Series last year and it's Dodgers and Houston and they're just throwing haymakers back and forth, the best players in the world. And last night, the series finally got a series here where it's close games. And I have this like tortured mental exercise I go through every single time where I take the Minnesota sports team and try to envision, okay, what would the Minnesota sports team look like? What would the Twins bullpen last year look like against... Jose Altuve with two men on and one out in the 13th inning of a World Series. Why game. do you do that to yourself? I don't try to. It it does it really is so it, <laughs> it comes into as you're watching the best players in yes. the world in their given sport you actually try and think to yourself not try. I don't try. Okay, you actually sit there on the couch and you're watching the game and you think to yourself 
Trevor Hildenberger right yeah. here. Howard, Tre- when he's throwing it sidearm, how's that going to fly? And how far will it fly oh, as you, it's going the other way? You need way? some serious Minnesota sports therapy. Like, like last night, I was watching the game, and it's <laughs> it's these two innovative. You got innovative Mike D'Antoni and his system, and uh, and the Warriors are both innovative and just maybe one of the best collections of talent. And I'm thinking, what would Wiggins be doing right now? <laughs> He'd be standing in the corner, sort of shrugging, saying, I love my shot. I mean, if you want to love give me the ball, shot. Oh, I'll, man. I'll take a two-point shot. Wiggy and uh, Steph Curry talking about how much oh, they love their three-point shot. You poor, tortured sports soul, you. You don't do that at all? Not in the context you're talking about. Man, no, we got Alabama and Oklahoma right now. Yeah. How would... How would Mitch Leidner look in this game? I was just going to say. So when Mitch is flinging it down the field against the uh, against Bama, how's that going to look? I'm just telling you, and it well, no. and, and it kind of helps you contextualize just how far the teams are apart. Where you're watching the Wolves and, and Rockets, and you can get tricked into thinking in the first round. Couple close games there, you know what? Like they took a game, yeah, no. couple close games, but then the Rockets progress a month later here, and they and they there's another level that they can get to that yes. the Wolves couldn't get to. Um, but yeah, it's just a tortured mental exercise. I feel for you. I feel for you. I I have to purposely think about that, and then it passes quickly because I'm like, well, it's just not going to work here. <laughs> yeah. Like, like how would the Wild, if you put the Wild in this Predators Jet series, how would that? No. Well, or if you put if gone. you put the Wild up against, well, it's crazy because they're an expansion team, but this high flying Vegas team, they I think that speed. that plays a little bit better. You could envision the Wild taking a series to six or seven games yeah. in that context, yeah. but you couldn't envision the Wolves obviously going six or seven games against the Twins, way that these teams are playing. Twins-Dodgers, right. 2017 Game 6. What happens in that I mean, game? In that series, you had guys like Jose Altuve and Kenley Jansen in these showdowns, or Clayton Kershaw and George Springer, right? Cody Bellinger, and, and then it would be like Taylor Rogers on the mound <laughs> exactly. in the 11th inning, exactly. just serving up meatballs. Uh, one, one observation, maybe this is sort of a credit to Tom Thibodeau, basketball executive. P.J. Tucker has been, so once you get past that layer of all-time great players in this series, so Chris Paul, hopefully he plays the rest of the series with the hamstring. Chris Paul, James Harden, uh, Durant, Curry, and then Clay Thompson. Draymond Green's not quite what he was a couple years ago, but P.J. Tucker, the Wolves tried to get him last offseason. The Wolves, Korzanowski dug this up. They actually tried to trade Shabazz Muhammad for P.J. Tucker, who's been kind of a journeyman, just a Swiss Army Knife type player. And in this series so far, this is the exact type of player the Wolves need coming off the bench or even just starting for like to play 25, 30 minutes. In any given game, he just picks the thing that needs to be done and does it, right? Right. A a few games ago, it was, uh, I believe it was uh, game two, and he goes five of six from three-point range. It's 20, 22 points. Uh, then a couple games later, it was, all right, I'm going to score four points, but I'm going to grab 16 rebounds. And he's not a hulking guy. He's a wing player. Mm-hmm. Uh, last night, he knocked down a couple threes, eight points, nine rebounds. But just if you watch the game, he's everywhere playing defense. He can shoot from the corners. And uh, if you're the Wolves, if you're Townsend Wiggins, take notes on the intensity and everything that's happening. Right. And if you're Tom Thibodeau and Scott Layden, take notes on how these little Swiss Army Knife supplemental players fill in the gaps between the great ball-centric but guys. That, but this is what the what the great teams do. This is why, and, and this is why a guy like Tucker will eventually leave and get paid and go to a team and not be as good. The great teams do such a fantastic job of finding this type of player, and then 
in integrating him correctly into their scheme. Yeah. And and you see this in every sport. But if you look at the elite teams, and, and those teams have a few great uh, players, too. But if you look at them and their roster construction, look at how often they find a guy like this. And that guy goes from being a nice player to being a very effective uh, player who can step up on a a game-by-game basis, that's what impresses me so much. Because And so often, these guys will then leave the team, they'll get paid, and they'll be okay, but not great. But the great teams do a fantastic job of finding players just like this. And it, and too, like the Rockets are an extreme example because they've got they've got a pretty extreme system. It maybe is the most extreme in terms of the they just take three pointers. And Chris Paul will take some mid range shots because he's great at it. Uh, it's it's point blank layups and dunks, and it's three pointers. And so everything is extreme with them. But I love the fact that they have they're playing a seven man rotation right now. But even when they're playing like an eight or a nine man rotation. They've got three guys who handle the ball, so three ball-centric guys, Chris Paul, James Harden, and Eric Gordon when he's on the court, and they'll run isolation, and all the other guys fit so well and understand exactly the only time I'm going to get the ball is on a rebound or if I'm like being passed to in the corner, and then it's my turn to pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the Wolves, and there's a million different things. Like The Wolves are just a completely different philosophy and everything, but last year's team, it was... Jeff Teague needs the ball all the time, and Andrew Wiggins needs the ball all the time, and Jimmy Butler needs the ball all guys the time. Guys didn't fit. Jamal Crawford. Yes. And the Rockets said, all right, three guys are going to have the ball all the time, Yes. and the rest of you are just going to have to get really comfortable grabbing the rebounds and playing the defense and spotting up and just being ready to knock down those shots, Gerald Green, and just be okay with that. And it's like the Wolves have so many guys who are just not okay with their role right. or want more. I need more shots, or I need now I need to have the ball, and they... They need more guys like P.J. Tucker and Trevor Ariza on their roster. The, the Wolves seem like a team where there have been X amount of players who have almost, uh, they, they come off as if they've been promised more time, more shots, and the Rockets very clearly sit their guys down and say, okay, you three are the stars, the rest of you fit fit in, and they do. The Wolves, it's like Teague thought, well, I was going to get get the ball th- this much. Crawford, same thing. So I think the Wolves' pr- problem is that if they do have a system, it's not well, it's not very well articulated and, and or explained. Where the great teams have a system, and the majority of players say that's absolutely fine. Yeah, um, just for fun, you're, you and I were kicking this around before the show. In watching Warriors Rockets, you've got Mike D'Antoni is one of the more innovative offensive minds in the history of the NBA. He brought this sort of fun ball Suns team to the league and said, we're going to shoot three-pointers more than anyone in the history of the league, and we're going to shoot them in the first 10 seconds of the shot clock. Now they'll run a little bit slower now. They're trying to – they'll just dribble the air out of the ball for 20 seconds and then get a three. But these are two of the most innovative teams in basketball history. Who are some of the other more innovative teams that you can think of that, like, you think back to the sort different of eras things. of that really change things for sports? Uh, yeah. I, I think if, if you look at hockey, if, if you look at the the complete uptick in offense and goal scoring in the eighties, it would be Gretzky and the Oilers. Those teams now. I th- now, was that like just sheer talent, yeah. or was it systematic? I think it was. I think it was sheer talent. I think sheer talent allows you to tweak systems. I think sheer talent means and that you got to be able to shoot the threes and make exactly. the threes to shoot the threes. Yeah. And so, so basically, I think the, the philosophy with those Gretzky-led teams was was we're going to put a bunch of pressure on on our goaltender. We're not necessarily going to play great defense, but we we can win eight to six games. Yeah. And so that team to me seemed to be the team that took 
offense in hockey and just went crazy. And then, but the thing there is then, if you're successful, teams try and copy that. Now, there's a danger to trying to copy that because you've got to then go get those players, and that's hard to do. But that's the one that came to mind as far as an exciting up-tempo idea of of we've got this generationally great all-time player. And so bleep it. We'll we'll put pressure. We'll get a good goaltender. We'll put pressure on him to make saves. But we will score consistently eight goals per night. I would say uh, I'll give you another hockey one, actually, because this was maybe the response to what happened in the 80s. Could you say that even though it was boring, grinded out hockey, that the mid-90s Jacques Lemaire New Jersey Devils were innovative, even if the innovation was like going back to a black and white TV? Neutral zone trap, absolutely. It was innovative. Right, but if you're the league... It was winning strategy. And if you're the league, you're like, what is this? But I I think the important thing here is to look at teams that have success, and and then the the biggest compliment that those teams could possibly get is to be copied, right? Yeah. So now you, you get more teams shooting threes. So yes... The, the neutral zone trap was awful to watch, and it, it was hell for hockey fans, but it was definitely so, something that a lot of teams that probably weren't that good copied. It set the league back and, and caused rules to have to be changed and tweaked, but yeah, I'd say that's yeah. fair. Uh, back to the uh, the original talker from like 10 minutes ago. Another one, just another masochistic uh, Minnesota sports comparison just popped into my head. I remember watching, who was it? Um Villanova and well, whoever the hell they beat beat the crap out of in the championship game, because mm-hmm. Villanova just rolled over the entire NCAA bracket. And I remember thinking during that game, like these thoughts just popped into my head: What would Bakari Kanate look like right now in this game? <laughs> what is wrong with you? I don't know. What it's is honest to God? That's a sickness. <laughs> it is. Like that would never occur to me, not in a thousand years. Just like because it's like a litmus test. Oh, I wonder like how close the Gophers or how far away the Gophers are, and then I think. What would Bakari Kanate be doing in 15 minutes in this game right now? I don't uh, know. It wouldn't be good. I do something similar in that, like last year, I was looking at the Twins because they're a playoff team. They're you know mm-hmm. one game. Yep. You know, look at the Vikings. You know how close are they are? How how close are the Timberwolves? Because they were in the playoffs. But you're looking at go for football and basketball. Not last on purpose. Year? I'm not. It's not a conscious thing. It just happens. I, there's a there's a certain level a team has to get to for me to make <laughs> that leap. It's more fun when the team is further away. <laughs> Oh my! <laughs> that's just that's Mitch so Leiner against Alabama and Nick Saban. <laughs> but I mean, but but like to take the Twins, I can see taking the 2017 Twins and saying, okay, let's put them against the uh, the 2017 American League playoff teams. But to get to like Game Six of the Dodgers Astro series, where you've got these two incredible teams playing I each just other, want to know how and far then to be like, are. I wonder what would happen if Taylor Rogers were, were to come in this. Game. I'll tell you what would happen: he'd give up a bleeping home run. <laughs> if Phil Hughes had to come into this game right now, yeah, I'd give not up, to kick a guy while he's down. But the bases would be loaded, and then there'd be a home run, and the game would be over. That's what would happen. <laughs> you, po- I feel bad for you. I also feel bad for myself. I it's feel bad, bad, bad for you. Yeah, that was Start my experience. drinking more during games. Perhaps you'll just black out and forget yeah. all about everything. It, for me, it was like when when uh, the TNT pre post game crew and Kenny Smith goes behind the screen and now he's like on the court. Yes, and he's doing the demonstrations. So that was me watching the game last night and just putting like Andrew Wiggins on the court. Oh, there's Wiggins of all key the- moment. Four minutes to go. Haymakers back and forth. Here's a contested 22-footer clang. Of all the people to put on the court to, you would put that poor guy on the court against those teams. Hey, he doesn't think that he... I know he doesn't. ...is a poor guy. I know he doesn't, but I feel bad for him, too, because of that. (laughs) Uh, We'll talk some football and uh, get into some 
rule changes and things like that with Kevin Seifert at 9.30. Write that down, predictions at 10 o'clock. Chris Singleton on the show. Doogie has car problems today. We're hoping that doesn't prevent him from joining us for an in-person scoop session at 12.30, but <laughs> we'll have to see. We, maybe it's an emergency phone scoop session. I don't know. Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studios. The Mackie and Judd Show will continue in a moment. Do you understand? On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. Gentlemen, the moment has finally arrived. On 1500 ESPN. That's the first one. At 59, and Chris Paul going into the body of Steph Curry. And a little uh, shitty answer from Chris. Yeah, we, we were talking about this before the show, too. You're, uh, I don't disagree with you. Kevin, Marv Albert's had his amazing run of like 30 years or whatever, but I don't know. There's something about him and Chris Weber that Reggie Miller's fine, but they just don't quite live up to the moment like like Marv Albert used to. And Harlan, Kevin Harlan is Kevin is, Harlan's so good. And and what I don't get is is TV. I mean, yes, there. You know, Marv has been the voice of basketball for a long time, and I get all that. But you know, TV is is sort of a heartless business too. So replacement replacing people is not shocking. And TNT's studio crew is so damn good. Yeah. If you had well heck, if the play if the booth itself for the games was was Harlan and and Reggie, I'd be fine with it. Except we'd all be confused as to when Harlan is calling players by the wrong name because oh. he always says Reggie. Except he does put Reggie comma. Rose. Except he does say comma now, which is great. <laughs> but Marv is, I, I I loved Marv at one time, and Marv is not terrible. But Marv's fastball is long gone. He still gives and you Harlan it, can bring the heat. Well, what's his 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 best pitch has always been from downtown, right? Yeah, yes. he started doing that decades Mixed, ago. Mixed games, yeah. And I remember he he did games on. NBC when they had the games in the 90s and from downtown mm-hmm. was was his thing. Mm-hmm. And, and in the 90s, from downtown was 95 with movement, right? On the black yes. as a pitcher. Yeah, he was Nolan Ryan. But now I think that pitch belongs to Mike Breen, ESPN, because he came up with and it's, I don't know why no one else did this for years, but his signature three-point call is bang. So yeah. the moment is building, and all of a sudden, Steph Curry instead of yes, you know, Curry will you know, pull will pull up, and there's something about bang that I like. He's great, yeah. But Dave's more pro Marv Albert. I than still we are. It, I still love it when I hear a yes <laughs> from downtown. Yes, yes. Oh, I still love it, I, I, and that's basketball. Let me know. I mean, growing up, obviously, it's the memories sure. of that too. Some nostalgia. In I there. feel that, but I I feel like when Marv is doing a game, uh, that that Marv is at a point now where he doesn't necessarily see all the elements of the game going on. No, he definitely and doesn't. Harlan, Harlan, and Chris Weber doesn't help him. No, he does. Well, what was that game see, in the second round or something where both of them had no idea what the rule was, or they didn't they didn't realize uh, that the, that the review was something different, and they just spent four minutes talking Weber about is not that good. He's just not. He doesn't bring a lot. I heard some snippets of Weber in the regular season and thought, yeah, there's there's definitely energy and there's there's something there, but then he gets a little overexposed in these playoff games. Mm-hmm. And instead of giving you legitimate insight or something that maybe something that goes a little bit deeper, he just raises his voice. Yeah. He just gets really excited and talks yeah. louder. Yeah. Yeah. He takes too. He takes he's like his his Wolves thing that drove me crazy was he worked a few 
Wolves games this year, and I think every single game he would talk about, this is such a young team. This is such a young Wolves team that Tibbs yeah, has. No, they're all 30. It's like, Chris, if you look at the roster, no, it's not young There's at all. There's two young guys, and then Tyus yeah. Jones plays sometimes. So now, if you want to say they're, they're, two, they're two supposed key players or two of their key players are young, that's fine. Yeah. But he kept referring to the fact, this is such a young... No, it's not a young. It's not young. They just added Derrick Rose. Yeah. They're not young at all. Who's, what, 29 going on 70. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, they, I'm going to play this highlight, too. This, this, is, this was a funny distinction between the NBA and most other sports. Uh, it was well-deserved. Uh, this is uh, Steph Curry commenting on the shimmy. Uh, it was well-deserved. It's a tough shot. If you can shimmy on somebody else, you've got to be all right getting shimmied on. So I'll keep shimmying, and maybe he will, too. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> Chris Paul just daggered a three right over the top of Steph Curry's forehead. And he just mocked him halfway down the court doing the shimmy while staring at him. And Chris Paul is not Mr. Joke around. I think Chris Paul was just doing it to be a bleep hole. Accurate. And I think in any other sport, especially baseball. I was going to say, can you? Especially baseball. If you show somebody up like that. Oh! Could you imagine hitting a home run off Fernando Rodney? Let's say it it was a uh, to tie the game so the game continued on and so you could follow up with it. Yep. And then before you ran to first base or while you ran into first base, you did the arrow celebration on him. Instead of him after the game being like, ah, you know what? Sometimes you're going to give up bombs, no. and if you're going to do this arrow celebration, you would have had the next hitter writhing in pain with a 95-mile-an-hour fastball at his ribs. So I, I would say a similar situation that occurred in baseball, and it was probably more exciting uh, given what transpired, was the, the Rangers-Jays game. The Batista bat flip, right? That was a great moment. That was awesome. That game, that place was going nuts. The bat flip was awesome. And you would have thought that Batista killed someone. Like that, to me, to me, basketball does such a good job of being like, yeah, you know what? This is fun. This is is great. This is awesome. The NFL, you'll see guys rip the Cam Newton, the Cam Newton Superman celebration or the Aaron Rodgers title belt celebration. And and it'll get too worked out. I love the shimmy. It was great. But, you know, you get these. I don't know if it's just layers of ego in baseball or decades of Respect old school. The game. Yeah. There's just there's some level of I think Dave hit it. Respect the game and kiss the ring that exists in baseball that that prevents it from getting to that next level of fun. And that was awesome. And that might have been to your Batista comparison. Batista's bat flip came at the peak moment of his career. He'd never he'd never hit a home run like that in a game like that. He's never he's never won a World Series. That was in the I think it was in the division round, uh, but that was the peak moment of his professional career. Let the guy celebrate. Mm-hmm. You could make a case because Chris Paul has never played in the conference finals. That was in the third quarter, the shimmy. It's a close game. It's ba- it's basically best two out of three to get to the NBA Finals at that moment when he buries that three-pointer to, I think it was to tie the game at 59 in the third quarter, that was one of the biggest, considering the round that they're playing in and the team they're playing against and the moment, that was one of the biggest shots of his career. And I just love the fact that he can celebrate a little bit and the opposing player isn't going to be like, we're going to break your leg next time we see you. It was a freaking tough shot, too. It was. And it makes it way more fun. It just does. It makes it more fun. Not only that, they're able to then talk about it after the game, too. Sure. Steph gets the question, and instead of passing it off and getting mad... Class it up. Yeah, he, Be- he answers the question and says, yeah, yeah, go ahead and shimmy. I'll keep shimmying. Everyone's going to have fun. <laughs> but then sometimes basketball players will get mad if you take a shot. If you're up by eight points and you take a shot when the shot clock's turned off. Yeah, like, they'll get offended true. by that. But not, 
a direct stare down mock of your three point <laughs> celebration. I think the biggest thing that baseball has to get past is two things. We've always done it this way, which they love. We've always done things that this way. This is how we do it, and we don't do things that way. The the gatekeeper mentality of baseball is what drives you crazy. Play the game the right way. And, and you know what? You know what? In sports, if you show somebody up truly, we know it. Okay. So I'm I'm not advocating everything being a celebration. I am, but that's or fine. but I'm just there, there are there are things where you see it and you're like, okay, that's not cool. But there's a ton of things going back to the bat flip. If it's spontaneous, then for the most part, it's absolutely fine. And when Batista flipped the bat, it was a spontaneous act in a stadium, by the way, that was going absolutely crazy with a game that was fun. Think about how how many baseball games have been like that where you've gotten actually wrapped up in in the game because the atmosphere is also so cool. That game had everything going for it. Mm-hmm. And leave it to baseball to be the gatekeeper of, well, we don't do things that way. I feel like I feel like in hockey, players get offended if you're perceived to take a questionable run at a star player, obviously, if you sure. like, get an elbow up high or something. Yeah, that's accurate. But hockey players don't get offended by a great celly, right? They, they call no. them cellies. No. Where if you do a, no. if you jump up against the glass, or it's all very standard, and no one gets offended. It seems like no one gets offended you by would, those things. You would have to go to the opposing bench and basically start to high five their players <laughs> for them to get mad. <laughs> hockey players don't care. No, no, there's nothing. Or the Mighty Ducks thing, where it, didn't they? They. Uh, they tapped all the helmets of the opposing players. Or yeah, something. now that might upset That's them. Funny. But yeah, but baseball's the one where you just wish they would back off of, we don't do things that, that way in baseball. We've got a certain way. Alec, guess what? It's boring. Uh, Tom tweets into the show, you really think Fernando Rodney would hit someone and put the winning run on base after being... Mo- no, I mean, don't, Tom. I'm just saying. <laughs> in baseball, if there was a circumstance where you hit a home run off Rodney... And then you mocked, you stared him down and mocked his arrow celebration. Whether it was the next batter or in two months or in a year, somebody would pay the price. Drew, Drew just tweeted that that um, Mike Trout did exactly that in 2014. He did the arrow celebration. In fact, it just came to both both of our Twitter accounts that he oh, did that he this. did the arrow celebration against Rodney in 2000 <laughs> in July okay. of 2014. Trout and, Trout and Pujols did it apparently. So Rodney pitching for the Mariners. Yep. 5-4, Pujols down the right uh, field line. Trout comes all the way around to score. So he so he blows the save. Trout stands up. Okay, so Pujols did the arrow to Trout. There it is, yeah. Oh, yeah, they both did it. Okay, there's the answer to your question. <laughs> yeah, he does it again. He pulls it out of the thing. Oh, okay, they're showing the replay of it. And then Trout does it back to him. Yeah, it's fun. Who cares? Who cares? That's what I love about good. it. And this is this is Steph Curry's reaction to getting mocked. He must be outraged, right? Uh, it was well deserved. It's a tough shot. If you can shimmy on somebody else, you got it all right getting shimmied on. So I'll keep shimmying, and maybe he will too. So we'll see what happens. Every, see, it's all love in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Kevin Seifert will talk uh, various NFL items, rule changes. Write that down coming up in about a half hour. And then uh, we're hoping that Doogie can fix his car in time to join us for a scoop session in the second half of the show. When we watch sports, and we're watching the uh, the highlights here. Well, this is something else, but this is uh, Warriors highlights. We watch on a TCL TV from the TCL broadcast studios where we have four times the picture quality of a standard 1080p TV. TCL TVs, America's fastest-growing TV brand, are just absolutely blowing up around the world right now. Third-largest TV company 
in the world, latching on to brands like the Ellen DeGeneres show, <laughs> the Mackie and Judd show, which is on a very similar level, quite obviously. And uh, you get that built-in Roku device, too, so no extra cords. You don't have to worry about uh, blowing a circuit or having a power strip. The Roku device is built into the TV, giving you 4,000 streaming channels and 450,000-plus movies and TV show episodes. And that includes all kinds of sports platforms as well. We're all moving forward toward uh, connected TVs and streaming platforms, and so you can get... In on the ground level with one of the best TVs in the world right now. Any major local retailers where you can find TCL. Mackey, Judd Zogad. And those are some boobs, by the way. Mackey and Judd. Uh... On 1500 ESPN. Uh, I don't know about you, but my timeline on Twitter, my at replies for like 48 hours now, has just been a tire fire of political debates you and tweeted, anthem protests. You tweeted more about it than I did. I purposely d- didn't this time because last time I did... Well, I just tweeted the I things did, we talked about on the radio. Yeah, so. last time I did that, it uh, it took uh, three days for it to clear, clear itself yeah. up. Like, there was Kevin Seifert from ESPN and ESPN.com. We'll bring him in here. Uh, let's just say that there a, a fight spilled over on my timeline, and I was just a drive-by. I was just tagged in all these tweets. Someone went and dug up the police record of some other guy from like 15 years ago, and now they're arguing about politics. So, at, let's let's not dive into this for two hours like we had the last couple of days. But Kevin, question for you: Do you think the NFL has listened to the reaction the last couple of days? And then part two to that question: Is there a better way to go about finding a solution for the national anthem that can be implemented in time for the 2018 season? Uh, I think they have listened to it. Um, maybe they anticipated uh, that whatever solution they came up with would be met with some criticism, and so they have been able to cast aside what has happened the past day or so as a result because they, you know, just chalk it up to no one's ever going to be not, you know, someone's always going to be upset about it. Um, there might be a better way. But I would be surprised if they make a uh, if they change this before even giving before even implementing it. Um, you know, they have been talking about this and fighting about it since really last fall when the president first sort of threw the uh, the stick of dynamite into it and, and started the national fight about it. Uh, and this was all they could come up with. They are extremely divided amongst owners about how to handle it and. The result was a, you know, probably more complicated than it needed to be um, policy that reached enough of the different constituents in order to get something with at least 24 votes passed. Kevin, why, uh, why now? Because it, it seemed like like this had actually died down qu- yeah. quite a bit. Why now? And, and uh, second, why bypass the players entirely here? Yeah, I think I think they wish they could have done it earlier, but as you know, we were talking about they they were just so divided they couldn't come up with a solution that enough people, um, could, enough owners could buy into to 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 get it done. And so this is how long it took. Um, and if you say like, okay, well, if it took this long and they got this far, why not just leave it alone? And I think you know, and we can debate whether it's true or not. There were enough owners who thought that there was just one incident away or one presidential comment away from this once again becoming an issue. And they felt like they were very caught flat-footed last year by something that started two years ago um, that they had no, they had not really addressed in any way. I mean, don't forget Colin Kaepernick and others started kneeling in the summer of 2016. 
um, you know, they've been healed for a while. It caused some controversy. It sort of died off. The the owners didn't really do much about it or talk much about it in the off season, and then it blew up last year. And so I think they were determined to not just sit tight and hope that it goes away. Um, they felt as if you know there was one you know police incident or one uh, racial incident or one something else that they couldn't even anticipate away from at least some players deciding that they wanted to protest during the anthem and their rules allowed it and there was wouldn't be any way to prevent it other than just pressure I guess and so they wanted to have a mechanism in order to you know no matter what happened they could at least uh, eliminate they hope um, the, uh, the 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 visual of players kneeling during the anthem, but the reality is, I don't even know if they if they accomplish that because uh, you know players themselves can't be disciplined by the league for it, and it's up to the team owners to do it if they want. And there's already some owners on record saying they're not going to do it, so yeah. players can can kneel if they if they want to. So um, I, that was so long winded, Judd. I forgot the second part of your question. Oh, I I, I said why why bypass uh, oh. why, what. Why not at because, least try and make make it look like you went to the uh, PA and yeah. sat down and, and had a dialogue? Because they didn't want to. Like I honestly think, like they like you know, when they came out and said this was a compromise, they they meant a compromise amongst owners. I don't think the owners of the NFL think in terms of players as true partners in the in the create and creating policy for the league. Uh, they feel like they're the ones that have the financial stake in it. Um, they are the ones who have the authority, and they like. I, I'm not saying this is right, but I just think that's not even in their in their decision making realm. And when they do go to the players, um, you know, you could argue that it's usually on the owner's terms. And so, I don't think that they thought that you know the employees, so to speak, deserve to have a right to tell uh, the uh, the bosses what the company policy was going to be. I guess to put in corporate terms, we can. Um, you know, a very you know, you could make a very reasonable argument that if you want buy-in from the employees and you want them to follow your rules, you should at least work with them to make sure that the rules you're putting in place are things that everybody you know accepts as reasonable. But I guess we all know that that doesn't always happen in a lot of businesses, and certainly not in this one. And so, the difference being that the public uh, platform that the employees of the NFL have, uh, we already saw that there's been plenty of players who have been extremely critical both of the policy and of the um of the president's uh, comments and so it's not as if this policy has made the issue go away um but i don't i just don't think the owners think in terms of that and it's not a collectively bargained part of uh nfl operations so they didn't have to and then they just didn't want to I mean, Kevin Seifert's with us from ESPN. It's obviously impossible to please 100% of of the fan base and the audience with any decisions that you're going to make. But it feels like the waters for the NFL the last five or six years have been so choppy with everything outside of football, right? Domestic violence issues and racial tensions and protests and and uh, and even I mean even stuff that does sort of pertain to football, like the Patriots and are they cheating and deflating footballs and things like that. Where do you think the NFL's relationship with fans stands? I know people bring up ratings drops, but you could say there's almost everything TV-related is going down because that's just one method of distribution, and there's so many ways to consume content now. But do you worry about the NFL's relationship with fans? You know, I what I would say is, and I think you're making a good point, is that 
we've always talked about all these different controversies and gates and all these different you know lawsuits and things that have suspensions and um, and we said well I guess you know it's crazy you know this doesn't seem to have any effect on the league you know because up until last year or the year before the television ratings were fine and revenues are still streaming in at record numbers but I think this is one uh, area where it does sort of have a, a tacit at least impact on the league and that whenever the league never gets the benefit of the doubt from either the players or the public there's always an assumption that uh, their decision is wrong uh, that their policy is bad uh, that it was uh, poorly you know communicated and poorly constructed and is only going to make things worse you know every rule change they came up come up with uh, it's automatically assumed that they're trying to to soften the game and make it worse and uh, there's there's never you know, it's not. There's not this default, or the default response to anything the NFL does is negative. And I think that's uh, at least partially related to the fact that there's been so many high-profile negative stories that the league has, in many ways, created uh, through its poor relationship with players, through its efforts uh, to, you know, for law and order, so to speak, uh, for the investigations that resulted in some very questionable. Results in Bounty Gate and and, um, and Deflate Gate and and some others that have really uh, broken a trust with at least some fan bases. I mean, I don't think anybody in New England gives the NFL the benefit of the doubt. I don't think anyone in New Orleans gives anyone the benefit of the doubt. I don't think many players give the NFL the benefit of the doubt. And those their reactions and their and the results there feed into this sort of negative uh, default setting that the NFL faces. And so, you know, I, I don't. You know, I don't know that all fans have a bad relationship with the NFL, but I think that the cumulative effect of all of these uh, controversies has been um, to, to create this environment that we see now that no matter what they do, everyone's going to be upset with them. Is the kickoff just about dead, Kevin Seifert? <laughs> well, we're closer to finding that out because they have they now have – taken all the experts in, the special teams coordinators, the, the, the guys who know special teams the best, the ex-players, the Steve Taskers in the world, and said, how can we make the play safer? Give us a proposal. And largely what the new rule is going to be is the result of this expert, the expertise of these special teams coach. They gave it their best shot, you know, here, they, and these changes that reflect that. And if that doesn't bring the concussion numbers down uh, quickly enough and far enough, and don't forget, concussions were actually down 20% on kickoffs from two years ago to last year anyway. And if they don't get that number further down, then you say, okay, what next? And, and maybe there's some more dramatic effects um, that they could do uh, to, to, to make it even, even safer than, I guess, what they propose now. But I feel like this is a one-year trial for trying to keep a, a version of the kickoff in the game. It doesn't happen i don't you know they may not just straight out eliminate it i think there'll always be some kind of play in between the extra point or the two-point conversion and the other team taking possession but it may not look much like the kickoff it might be more of a punt it might be something like the greg shiano proposal where uh, it's fourth and 15 at the 30 and you can either punt the ball or go for it which would keep the onside kick um like drama in the game yes but i would be surprised um if the if the num- concussion numbers don't go down significantly this year on kick on the new kickoffs then you wonder whether owners will just say okay scrap it come up with something entirely different to do between the extra point and the then the takeover of possession 
Chris Long from Channel 5 and I, we should have copyrighted this like three years ago. This uh, this notion of punting or or just making it on the possession exchange. So instead of a kickoff, it would be whatever the math is, fourth and 18, whatever the equivalent of an onside kick percentage is. Wouldn't that yeah. be more fun if instead of an onside kick, you know what, it's fourth and 20 or fourth and 18, go find your Freddie Mitchell and you're going to let, if you can complete a pass and get 20 yards, you get you get uh, first down. Go for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that was uh, that's similar to the to what Greg Schiano proposed after, you know, when he was the Rutgers coach and Eric uh, Legrand uh, suffered the major spinal injury there uh, on a kickoff, and so um, that's that's you know, and that and that also sort of, I mean, the kickoff already is just a very unique play relative to the rest of football. There's no other play very much like it, and so it's not as if you're like spoiling the game if you do something entirely different than what they're doing now because it already is entirely different. And so, uh, you know, there's all kinds of crazy proposals. You know, they, a lot of, you know, what if you, um, you know, try to kick the ball through the uprights, if you had a kicker who could, you know, my colleague Bill Barnwell had a crazy fun idea where you just have the kicker out there and it's almost like you already said, well, the kickoff is a different play anyway, so why not make it something like a, a shootout in hockey or soccer where you just have the kicker, you know, if he gets it through the upright, you get, uh, you know the, the team gets the ball at the 15 mm-hmm. if he gets if he touches the uh if he touches the crossbar or the or the uprights they get the ball at the 20 if he doesn't do anything if it doesn't do either they get it at 25 so you know just mm-hmm. something like you know there's all different kinds of fun stuff that you could do um but this is a uh you know a very extensive bureaucracy and I don't know how creative they'll actually get but I think I think something like that is going to not to the quite to that dramatic, but I think something different than what we. Somebody asked me yesterday, uh, in ten years, is the kickoff still going to be there? And I said no, but I, I think there'll be something in that in place of it. But I don't. I wouldn't be. I'd be surprised if the kickoff, as we currently know it, survives for the next ten years. Yeah. Uh, last thing for you. I'm not sure if you knew this, but uh, ESPN and ESPN Two are OTA shaming on their bottom ticker now. They've got. The, they've got. Players skipping OTAs as a category, and they're just calling out all the players who are skipping the, the Anthony Barr, event. man, he's skipping. This OTA shaming yeah. has to stop. Yeah, I, I feel uh, as a as a former beat writer, and now Judd is in the same boat. Like you, you are obligated to find out if the reason the player isn't there is just because it was voluntary and doesn't feel like it, or if there's an underlying issue. And so, I guess I wish we could subdivide that category into <laughs> into people who are training on their own. Yep. Or hates Bill Belichick when, would be one category. When, when did yeah. skip? When did skipping OTAs be, become a huge deal? Um, you know, at whatever point it became clear that some people were skipping it, and either in protest, I mean, uh, of the current regime, uh-huh. in, in protest of their contract. I mean, Judd, you remember the Antoine Winfield thing where yes. we kept getting criticized for asking why is Antoine Winfield not there, and it uh, it was not just because he was training on his own, but he was having some dialogue with the front office about his future and didn't want to be there. And so, uh, you know, that if, if in fact that's the story, that's newsworthy and it's worth pointing out, you know, is he, is he not there because he wants a new contract? Is he not there because he wants to be traded or is he not there because he's got a great uh, workout guy in Phoenix and he'd rather be in Phoenix than in Minneapolis or whatever during the, during the early spring. And so I think, it's a, I don't think it should, we should just say it doesn't matter who's not at OTAs because often there's a newsworthy reason behind it, but I think we should find out what that reason is and make sure that we're not, as you say, shaming people for simply 
taking the option to train on their own when there's really when there's no underlying issue. But if there is the underlying issue, I think it's fair to to, to try to report that out. Yeah. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate it, Kevin. Okay, guys. Talk to you, Kevin Seifer from ESPN and ESPN.com. Write that down. Predictions in about twelve minutes. Sit tight. The Mackie and Judd show will continue in a moment. Yes. On fifteen hundred ESPN. Please listen carefully. Mackie and Judd now continue. Let's go, people. Let's get it going. On fifteen hundred ESPN. Minnesota United back on the pitch at TSC, uh, TCF Bank Stadium tomorrow night. They'll be taking on Montreal. It's a 7 o'clock start Saturday at TCF Bank. Head to MNUFC.com to purchase your ticket. Thank you, Dave. 651-646-8255. I think Kevin's right. I think the kickoff as we know it absolutely is out of the NFL within 10 years. It's just a matter of well, this new, how, how do you replace this, it. This new format for it goes a long way towards towards giving it more of a look of a punt, I think. It does. Kickoff where where everyone to. is, where there's no running head start for the kickoff team. Yep. Where the kick return team has to be up in this zone that's closer to the line of scrimmage, so to speak, and they all run down the field together instead of clashing at full speed. If I'm not mistaken, when you covered the Vikings, didn't they they have it so that if you were kicking off, a guy could be like 15 yards back, and, and then they tightened it up to five, your five yes. yard head start, and now it's zero head start. And then Paul Ferraro was just yelling, alley wedge left, uh, left. Uh, every practice play. Hey, Willie, you're on the show. Hey, guys. Um, you know, I agree that, you know, from a fan perspective, you know, and viewers of the game, it might not have a very big impact. But I think for players, it would have a big effect if that was taken out of the game. Um, I play college football. I just finished my freshman year. I'm going to be a sophomore in the fall. And, you know, as far as, you know, playing on the field, you know, on, on, on line of scrimmage, regular snaps, I'm a little bit, you know, down on the depth chart, but for special teams, you know, I still have an opportunity this fall. If I work hard, I can get on the field yeah. for special teams. In high school, freshman year, I didn't play at all other than special teams, you know, so I, was, I still got to play in the game and be a part of things. I think there are lots of guys like that, you know, at every level, including the NFL, who if you take away special teams, you're going to take away them getting on the field. Sure, it's a it's a point worth making. Thank you, Will. Would, would rosters look? I mean, rosters would certainly be your construction might change. Yeah, but but the the most important thing for the the league is is if you if you get an opportunity to uh, to play and you're a special team standout and that that's it, and then you get concussed, the league doesn't want you. Because then you can t- turn around and join the lawsuits against the league, and the league has to be concerned. So. The grunt work type of jobs, while while it's great because it gives guys opportunities, also is a bad thing for the, the league in the sense that those are the guys who get hurt and now concussion statistics go up. And the league is doing whatever they possibly can to very quietly distance themselves from people having concussions. One of the ideas Kevin brought up was kind of interesting where you would just... You you would it actually put more value on the kickers because the, the instead of the kicker just kicking a ball down and having it be a touchback or whatever, you'd gamify the kickoff so there wouldn't be a return, but maybe he would attempt a field goal from a long distance or w- whatever it is, mm-hmm. and if he could knock one through from seventy yards, the opposing team would start at the fifteen. I I don't like the fact that whatever whatever we come up with here to replace the kickoff in three years or five years. I don't like the idea of just making teams start 75 or 80 yards away every time. There is some strategy in making sure that a team is forced to start 75 or 80 yards away. Now, that's that's the average field position anyway, 70 to 80 yards away from... But, like, 
on the off chance that you have a Cordero Patterson who could take a ball back to the 50 and all sure. of a sudden sets up a short field. Yeah. You know, we've seen plenty of Vikings games. That game in Chicago 10 years ago where Adrian Peterson, oh, we're going to put Peterson back there. Came to the and he 50. returned a kick to the 50 and they kicked the game-winning field goal right. to, to win at Soldier Field. So that type of stuff, I don't want to get rid of the possibility of starting a possession 50 yards and away they, from the goal line. And I think that the league agrees with you until their their st- uh, statistics prove that enough guys get hurt where it's not worth it, their time because it's such a pain then. Mm. They're, they're going to do everything. The next 15 years are going to be spent doing everything they can to make the game as safe as possible. Now the question becomes, is that damn near impossible? Yeah. Did you hear what, what how Kevin referred to, uh, is it Steve Tasker, the broadcaster, who is apparently, uh, he's a special teams expert. Oh, he was, right? yeah, for the Bills. If you're Steve Tasker, do you have business cards that just say, special, special teams, teams expert? Special teams expert, consultant, I can tell you everything. Special teams consultant. I, right, what can you charge for that? I grinded. What's your, what's your hourly billing rate? I grinded my career. <laughs> 25 concussions, and guess what? I don't care. You guys ever Still seen that? Strong. What's the Robert Redford Demi Moore movie from 25 years ago? In, indecent proposal, proposal or something? Yeah. Where Robert Redford has business cards? Have you guys ever seen this movie? I have never seen it. No. It was a huge deal okay. when it came out. He has. I've seen it once or twice, and I have to see it again to remember everything about it. But I, the one thing I remember from that movie is Robert Redford's business cards just said his name and nothing else. So no contact information, no phone number, no company. It would just be just like, name? here's J- Judd Zolgad walking around at the uh, the corporate gatherings, passing out business cards that say Judd. Okay, that's really creepy. <laughs> that's super creepy. Steve Tasker, <laughs> special teams consultant. <laughs> Good to meet your acquaintance, mm-hmm. sir. I said 25 concussions. And and I don't care. <laughs> tallies them all up on the I card. grinded my way through my NFL career. I see four of you right now, but it was worth it. That's right. Write that down, predictions, and an accountability session coming up next. Back after this brief timeout. How did your focus groups feel about cliffhangers? On 1500 ESPN. 